You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm going to ask you for something. Wait, wait. I know I've asked things like put up a review on Amazon or go to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash earn and invest. But this morning I'm going to ask you for something. I've been doing Earn and Invest, originally What's Up Next Now, for over three years. And generally, it is my joy to produce these podcast episodes, to have these conversations, to build our community. I would say that I would do this for free, but that's pretty silly because pretty much I do do this for free, right? I mean, I do have some advertisements, et cetera, but that really covers the bare bones costs of running a podcast. The goal was really never to ask for anything in return, but today I'm going to. You guys have all heard me talk about the fact that I have a book coming out. It's actually going to be in six months. That's right. Early August, taking stock will come to life. And right now, I just finished the editing process and we're in the midst of layout. And I'm trying to think, how am I going to get this book to not just our community, but people who are new to our community, people who don't know about Earn Invest? And this is where I'm going to ask you for something. I am setting up a ground team, a group of earn and investors, people who really dig this podcast, who buy into Doc G, me, Jordan Grummet, who like what I'm producing, I'm asking you all out there to become part of my ground team. Now, not really asking for much. What this means is you sign up, you get a newsletter, you're going to get some extra video and audio content. But what it means is for that week around the time where I drop the book in August, I'll be sending out emails and asking for simple things that pretty much take you a moment or two. Retweet something I put out there, share an interview. If you have a copy of the book, take a picture and put it up on the internet. Some really simple things that you can do during that week of launch that will help me get the word out about Earn and Invest, about this book, Taking Stock, and about my message about what the dying have to teach us about money and life. I'd really love to have you part of my ground team. I'm looking for hundreds of people. This is non-binding. You can sign up if you decide to do nothing. That's also fine. But join me, become part of this ground team. If you love Earn and Invest, if you like what I'm putting out every week, this is a chance for you to show your appreciation and deepen your connection to this community. It is really simple to sign up. Just go to earnandinvest.com. The first thing you'll see is a picture of a book, and all you have to do is click on it, and that's how you'll become part of our ground team. Check it out, earnandinvest.com. Take a listen. I hope you love the show. This is David Perret. My name is Alex Felice, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. I sometimes forget, that is, until I go online to access my checking account at USAA, the online bank for military members, their spouses, and children, that I am the son of a veteran. My father, a newly minted physician, was drafted into the Air Force during the Vietnam War. Entering as a doctor, an officer, I believe he bypassed much of the culture and training of most of his fellow draftees. When he died when I was eight years old, I lost the chance to ask him how his service affected him. 
Did it change any of his ideas about money and life, about entrepreneurship, about being successful in civilian life? I will never know. And you may not either. You might think that your time to serve is past and or you never had the interest. But maybe your friend, child, or spouse will or has. Maybe that guy or gal you work with at the office. Wouldn't you like to know what they've been through and how it motivates them? David Prey is an active duty Marine with over 13 years of experience. He started the Military Millionaire Podcast to help service members and veterans seeking to grow and build wealth. He is also the co-founder of the War Room Mastermind Group. Alex Feliz is an Army veteran and a co-host of the Military Millionaire Podcast. He focuses on the acquisition of undervalued multifamily RV parks and mobile home parks. He is known for his direct style and big personality, which, believe you me, is an understatement. David and Alex, welcome to Earn and Invest. Alex, I want to start with you. What was more scary, jumping off your first airplane in the Army for the first time or jumping into your first property deal? Airplanes for sure. In fact, I jumped out of airplanes when I was 18. I'm surprised you know this. You do your due diligence. I jumped out of airplanes at 18 because I was scared of it. And I thought to myself, I just joined the Army and I was like, man, if there was ever a time to like go off and do all the things you're afraid of now at the time, that was such a formative moment for me, turns out that I said, I thought I was afraid of heights, terrified of heights. So I said, man, if I jump out of airplanes, I can conquer that. And it turns out I didn't conquer it. I just got scared every time I jumped and I hated it. But it teaches you how to like deal with things that you're afraid of, even though you don't get over them. Buying property is um, scary, but there's no real risk. There's financial risk. There's no evolutionary, like deep down inside fear. It's just money. Alex, you say you had fear each and every time you jumped out of an airplane. Did the fear abate with buying properties? Like now when you go to buy a property, do you have any of that fear anymore? There's definitely an anxiety of when you do a, pro a project, like maybe bigger or more complicated than you've never ever done before. So, but buying a single family home for $100,000 now is so lack of fear, it's mundane. Actually, that's how you get in trouble. Right. Because it's become so easy. You're like, oh, I'll just go up and buy something without thinking about it so much because it's so lack of, you're so, the fear subsides so much that you, you become overconfident. Jump out of airplanes. No, I never got that. That was, it was, it was this old ar joke in the army. It's like every jump I've ever had is a night jump because I had my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, I want to jump into your past a little bit. On your website, you say, I wasted the majority of my first two enlistments financially. I spent money on tattoos, cars, guns, dates, and anything else cool. When and how did the tide change? Like, how did you start saying, okay, now I have to start paying attention to my money? 2015, probably August, September. And it was, somebody was trying to get me involved in Amway, you know, an MLM that's been around long enough that my dad had been in Amway. And they handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which everybody attributes everything to. Apparently, my mom tried to get me to read that in high school, and I laughed at her. Uh, but that, then again, that was also, I was homeschooled, so I was in the mix of reading all the other books that are like required reading that are miserable to read. So I wasn't going to voluntarily read an additional book when my experience of recommended books from my teacher had been witch hunts and boring. So he handed me the book, and I was like, dude, I don't read. Like, like since high school, the only book I think that I'd ever read was Lone Survivor. And that was on deployment when I had nothing else to do. And that was a good book. But I was like, I don't I, like I'm not going to read in my free time. He handed me he pulled pulled a CD out of his pocket, handed it to me and was like, all right, well, you drive a lot. So just listen to it. And I, was, I, I did. But it was more of a like, oh, he called my bluff. Fine. I'll listen to it. And man, did that book open my it was just like. I mean, let's be real. Finances isn't an exciting topic. So whether you like the book or not, the one thing that book has going for it is that it can take a not very exciting topic and make it enjoyable enough that you get sucked into the idea of it. And so by the end of it, I was like, man, this is cool. And then I just, I started digging into more books and I don't know. Yeah. Bought my first property within like three months of that. Alex, for David, it was 2015. For you, change seemed to occur in 2017. So if I have the number... Dates right, you were in the armed forces from 2001 to 2005. By 2017, you were in deep debt and you had a very negative net worth. You say on your website, I changed my life when I took radical responsibility of myself and started investing in real estate. What brought on that change? I turned things around in 2010. I got out of the army, 
broke with no real skills. The army gives you this kind of confidence that you're super valuable. And then you get out into the real world and it's like, people love to give you the lip service. Thank you for your service, but there's no actual benefits for veterans. You have to, it's capitalism. You have to have skills. And I didn't really have any. So, and I was arrogant and I was pissing my money away and I was living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, like a lot of people. And I got a DUI that crushed me, lost my job, lost some friends. And I had to borrow money from my folks, which I'm not on the, not on bad terms by folks, but we're not that close. So it was like a real big hit to be like, Hey, I need, I had made like 90 grand that year. And I had to borrow like 2,500 bucks from my parents because I had no money. And that's when I was like, dude, I did this to myself, right? This is my irresponsibility. And so, you know, I say, do do I alleged because that was all nothing ever happened from it, but it really made me realize that I, I was being irresponsible about my money and my, the way I was spending my time, right? I was drinking too much and just being irresponsible. And so I was like, okay, we're going to take radical responsibility because I recognize that this is my fault. And that's when I was like, okay, I have this money problem. Let's fix this money problem. Let's fix my social problems. So this is our challenge call it early 11. And it took me some time, but you know, I found our good friend, JD Roth's website, get rich slowly. And I had read rich dad, poor dad about five years earlier. And it like, it planted something in my head, but I didn't know what to do with it. I knew passive income, but I didn't know how to do that. So it was a little while for me. It was a lot longer of a process for me. So I, I had the idea of responsibility. So stopped wasting money, stopped being irresponsible, started saving money. And then once I got a little bit of chunk of cash, I was like, okay, what am I going to do with this? That's going to change my life in a meaningful way. Not just invest it to the future and then go grind in jobs I hate, but like, how can I do some life design? And I was sort of empowered because when you go from like wasting all your money to like saving a little bit, you're like, wait, I can do this. I, there's some, there's a positive feedback loop here. And so clean my life up, clean my finances up, started investing. And it was in about 2014 when I bought a foreclosure, if it's still buy foreclosures off the MLS, I moved in one with like three grand. I didn't need much money. And like something like 18 months later to appraised for a hundred thousand dollars more than I paid for it. And I was like, bro, real estate is so easy. I'm going to do this forever. <laughs> and by 2017, that's when I really, that's when I started the blog. That's when I had three or four properties. That's when I really started getting going. So the process for me much longer. And I, I really want to make that clear because people look at real estate or financial freedom and they're like, oh, in two years, I'll be financially free. And I'm like, maybe, but it's a long game for most people. And the internet likes to hype it up and say, you can do things in six months or 10 months or whatever the case is. But for me, it was like a, it was like a five-year process of going from like a negative, ne- negative $40,000 net worth, right. To, you know, having one or two properties. And then another few more years after that, before now I, I own a bunch, but it's definitely a long process. And it's one that it's a lifelong process. In fact, Alex, I'm interested in this idea. David mentioned Robert Kiyosaki, who really cool. You guys actually interviewed, interviewed on the military millionaire podcast. And you mentioned JD Roth. Both of those were your inspirations. You guys didn't have military inspirations. Like there wasn't a military figure you could look at that helped you get your finances in order. I spend 90% of my time giving David, can I say, giving, giving him a hard time about everything I possibly can. But I sort of believe that David is the leader of financial independence and responsibility in the military community. The world doesn't know it yet. Because I think that people who are in the military, you know, their money is kind of solved. It's like impossible to get fired. So like they don't really need to think about money. And also the military doesn't promote a culture. It does not promote a culture of meritocratic um, capitalism because they don't want you to go off and get a higher paying job. They want you to stay in the military. So there's no mechanism inside the army to teach you to get this right. In fact, I hate to say it. There's just kind of a very subdued culture of like, hey, stay broke, get that Mustang because you'll stay in because you need to get the paycheck. So there. I'm not to say there is no, there's no military thought leaders, like prior service thought leaders, like a Robert Kiyosaki, but there is nobody like David who says I am in, or I was recently in, and I'm going to become a service, become a a thought leader for service members. And so I think his, I think David's presence is going to grow because he's kind of the only, the only one, you know, I'm very thankful to be, be part of that, but. We didn't have any, I don't think, I can't speak for David, but I didn't have any influences because there is nobody that's doing it, I don't believe. David, talk about that a little bit. How are military people with their money and what happens when they leave the armed forces and become civilians? 
uh, first off, I'd like to say, Alex, I appreciate it. If I could get past my imposter syndrome, I would probably agree with you. I'm reading a book on that right now. That's my biggest, my biggest hurdle in life is holding my own self back with my own belief system. There's platforms in the military, right? But the, the thing is that the culture of the military is very much, I think it's a number of things. So like when I joined, right, I joined in 08, we were in combat. And so there was like this, almost this like palpable mentality of like, well, I might go to war, I might die. So I might as well spend my money on things that make me happy right now. I mean, I got sucked into it. Tattoos, alcohol, chicks, cars. I mean, I owned a, to date, the most expensive car I ever bought was, and I mean, I did it right. I didn't buy like brand new cars, but it was in, it was before I, like the year prior to me figuring out all this stuff, it was a 12, I paid like 12.5 on a S2000 and put like another $8,000 into it playing with it. Um, and it was a great car. And honestly, it was an appreciative asset. I would be able to sell it for a lot more right now if I hadn't sold it and bought a duplex. But that was luck, right? It was just, it, it was luck that that car happened to be something that went up in value. I blew all my money on Harleys and dumb stuff. But there's like this culture, like Alex alluded to, where like young service members seem like sucked into tattoos, partying, the, almost the mentality of like, well, I might die tomorrow, so I might as well just live it up now. And there's no like forethought of 60 years down the road or, or unfortunately what we see a lot of times, right? Is service members do 20, 30 years, they have a pension, they have a disability income, you know, whatever, and they aren't able to retire and they get to 20, 30 years down the road and they're like, oh crap. So there's, there are courses you can do while you're in the service. Like there's, there's financial stuff, but there's, I'll tell you as a command financial specialist or as a prior command financial specialist. I was the guy that people came to or took their Marines to when it was too late. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you bought this. Go talk to David. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you got married and she had all this debt. Go talk to David. When I tried to host seminars about what was what you should be doing or how to get ahead of things, it was very, very, very difficult. In fact, in the three or four years I was command financial specialist, only one time did I get like battalion level approval for like, hey, you're going to be in our, you know, our stand down and you're going to give a class and the whole battalion's going to be here. And it was like, I was trying to do this, you know, on a recurring basis. And it just, it, it's hard to get that buy-in because, you know, if there's nothing wrong, then there's nothing wrong. They're more worried about like the required training. So to be fair to the military, not all their fault. I mean, we're talking about 18 year old kids. We're talking about 18 year old kids and uh, 18 year old kids who have been empowered by our culture that says that they are, you know, doing the right thing, that they are, they are like highly valued in our culture and which are mostly true, but you know, you, you give an 18 year old kid basically perfect job security, right. And a sense of entitlement or a sense of uh, importance. And it's like, yeah, they're going to buy a Mustang. They're not going to invest for the future, which is a very, I, I didn't do it until I got humbled by, you know, the realities of life. And so at 18, there's just very little of the humbling reality of life that have hit you yet. So especially like David said, when you're like, oh, maybe you're gonna, you might go to war and all this, you know, there's a, it, it gives you a, a situation where there's a lot of excuses not to think about the future. It's a problem that we all have is reaching these, you know, young service members at the time and getting through to them to say, hey, look, you know, start thinking about your 50 year old self at 18, which it's, it's, no 18 year old wants to do that. That's a hard sell. <laughs> Alex, let's talk about the skill sets. Whereas the military may not teach you about finances, my wife works for a multinational company and they love to hire people from the military, right? Because they're great leaders, they're organized. Do you think the military sets you up to eventually be a good entrepreneur? David will probably have a different answer than me. I look at people as much more individualistic than I do as groups. I do think the military... Military does a good job of two things. One, it gets you in day one and it says, um, we're not accepting any excuses from you. You're going to take responsibility for your behavior and we're going to hold you accountable. And that's something that doesn't happen in civilian life as much. The second thing they do is they put you in situations where there's a lot on the line. And so it kind of takes away your entitlement. Like, you know, in America, everybody's got a super easy. Even if you don't have any, you have it pretty easy. You go to Afghanistan and you see people that don't have running water and have never had running water in their lives and they have real poverty. And then you find out, you start traveling the globe a little bit and you're like, wait, everybody is kind of having a tough time except for like America where we have it good all the time. It, it really, it makes you less entitled. It makes you less fussy. It makes you care or, or worry about small problems 
and focus on bigger problems more. That's a broad statement, but I, I think that, you know, me going two tours to Afghanistan and South Korea and, you know, Qatar and Kuwait and seeing a bunch of the world, it gives you a good perspective about what's important, what's not important and what's a real problem and what's a big problem. And I just don't think a lot of people get that in the civilian world. Certainly that's a broad statement that doesn't apply to everybody, but so those two things, that entitlement and forcing you to take responsibility. Those are really good, hard skills to replicate. I guess hard mindsets. As for like skill sets, I'm not a very disciplined, organized guy. That's not how I work. That's not how my strengths are. So I can't say that that's something that you get from the military. I think some people are that way and the military can, can certainly make that better, but I don't know that those are universally transferable skills. David, speak to that. I mean, the skill sets you learn in the military, can they be real beneficial if you're going to go out into the business world? Yeah. So the problem with this answering this question is we're discussing causation versus correlation, right? So, so the, the, my thought is, do I know a lot of service members who have achieved a lot of success in real estate or as an entrepreneur or whatever? Yes, absolutely. But I don't know if you could say that that's because they were in the military or if it's because the military attracts the type of person who would like if you look at the SEALs, for example, just as a, a subsect of the military hyper niche. But it feels like everybody who's a SEAL, not everybody, but there are a ton of very successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, speakers, authors, whatever that come out of the Navy SEALs. Well, is that because they were Navy SEALs or is that because the only person who made it through being a Navy SEAL already had that in them? So, you know. Causation, correlation, eh, who knows? I agree with Alex on the entitlement thing and the radical responsibility piece, right? Like, I think those are huge. The ones that I would add that I think of, and I'm actually really bad at this one, or you would think, I think I just overwhelm myself and I have a problem saying no, but decisiveness. So the military is very like any decision is better than no decision. And I think as a business builder or leader or entrepreneur, that's extremely important is the ability to say, we're going that way without pausing too long, right? I, I still struggle with that because I allow myself way too many options and way too many opportunities, which is, which is good, but I'm getting, I'm getting much more intentional about saying no and, and focusing. But I think that's where a lot of business owners succeed is that they like that coupled with, especially if you're still in the military, you can afford to take those risks. So they're not as risk averse, which obviously can hurt. But if you have like a full-time, you know, like active duty Marine, for example, like I was, and you're buying a house, like my thought was always, I can afford to take on the risk of if this 10 unit that's out of my comfort zone goes wrong, because if it goes away completely, I'm still in the military. I still have housing allowance. I still have all these benefits. So I'm good. And it allowed me to take that risk on that 10 unit, which is probably one of my favorite deals ever that I probably wouldn't have taken had I not known that I would be taken care of whether or not that worked out. But I think, yeah, the decisiveness I think some leadership stuff, depending on your role, I mean, the military does a pretty good job of even at like the lower levels, putting you in charge of something or someone. And I think even at like a small level, and I've had a ton of growing pains with hiring this year and outsourcing and, and learning to work on who, not how. But I think that a lot of that, it's like, man, I just had to kind of go back and go, oh, I kind of already know how to do this. It's just in the context of me creating the playbook rather than hand it, getting handed the playbook. And so I think there's absolutely a tangible benefit for people joining the military. I think joining the military at 18 is like the single best decision. You, I won't say everyone, but most people could make for a lot of different reasons, but I don't necessarily know that being in the military equates to being a successful entrepreneur or thought leader or business leader so much as that the military attracts those type of people. Speaking of chicken and egg questions, David, what the heck is the deal with military people and real estate? Is it that the something in the military breeds real estate investors, or is it that people who tend to be real estate investors are attracted to military in the first place? Well, hopefully the answer is just that you got engulfed in my circle and now you're just overwhelmed by all the people <laughs> in my circle. So the, the one thing the military, I wouldn't say right or wrong, because I think it could go horribly right or horribly wrong, but there's a lot of almost mantras, it seems like in the military. And one of them is that a lot of people say you should buy a house at every duty station. And that could go horribly wrong, depending on when and where you buy. It could also go horribly right, but it at least opens the door to where people think about real estate as a thing. I think that 
I mean, I'm going to dance right past the chicken egg question because I have no idea how to answer that. But I think the one benefit that service members do have is that they are exceptionally qualified for mortgages as an active duty service member with a guaranteed paycheck and a housing allowance that pretty much allows them to buy median income homes wherever. So like if they want to get involved, a 18 year old married service member with housing allowance is infinitely more qualified than probably the average civilian population until 25, 26, 27, when they have to show track record for employment, they, you know, they have to be earning that much. They might have to get past student loan debt, you know, all these things. And so I think that that coupled with like the VA loan, which is a phenomenal loan product, if you use it correctly, allows and affords the opportunity at a much earlier age for service members. And then if you couple that with traveling around, it gives you opportunities to buy in whatever market kind of fits your flavor. So I think there's just, I think it's just kind of an opportunity thing. And then I think the one thing that service members have going well for them in that regard is that a lot of higher level service members do own their house. As much as we hate on the whole Mustang, Camaro, whatever idea, uh, the fact that they're not afraid to make those purchases at least on the real estate side, I think helps somewhat as long as they're, but again, it all goes back to, are they buying the right way? And, and over the last eight years, you could argue that everyone's bought the right way, whether they bought the right way or not, because the market probably bailed them out. But I don't, yeah. So I have no idea what the correlation, correlation, causation, chicken, egg, whatever is on that. I just think that the opportunity is there earlier and probably easier for service members if they're willing to take that leap. Alex, there's a lot of talk about the military path to financial independence. We've been talking about business, entrepreneurship, real estate. Why not just stay in the military? I mean, people talk about the pension and if you stick around long enough, you can retire at a relatively early age. Why even? Well, do you want to have a real conversation about this? If you're in the military, the likelihood that you go to war for some cautions personal vendettas or whatever is high. And let me tell you something, a little war go a long way. That's something I'm known to say. So the downs, it's not just a job that you have perfect job security and it's got some real ramifications. Not everybody makes it to 20 years. Secondly, the military, you know, for me as a, a apathetic slacker in high school, when I got out or when I, when I was done, I was like, I need something to do. And so like the military really turned that around for me and taught me that gave a lot of self-empowerment, self-confidence, but by the time I was done with just a few years, I was like, you know, the, the system is not a merito- meritocratic system. It's, it's a bureaucratic system that you get, you get, you get paid, you get fulfilled based on like, time and service mostly. Right. And so people who want to have a higher ceiling for what they can accomplish in life, you kind of have to get that out of your way because it is a big roadblock. I mean, you know, you can go on the internet and find out what E5, E6, and O6 gets paid, and it's the same. And so there is no, like, the ceiling is, is, is really kind of low. And there's no real good mechanism to work harder and get around it. So if you, now I will say this, the, merit, the meritocracy system, the capitalist, you know, civilian system, it's far harder. But the ceiling is much higher. So if you want to kind of just have like a little job security and get a reliable paycheck and do like a job and then just pray you don't go to, you know, war an immoral, unnecessary political war, you know, stay in 20 years. But if you want to think that you you can do more based on your talent, skills, or personality, then the military is going to have a low ceiling, unfortunately. And I think most people get, I personally, uh, most of what I was going to get in the military in four years. We're talking to David Bray and Alex Feliz, who are the co-hosts of the Military Millionaire podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, 
We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Have you been considering investing in real estate? If you have, the best place to go to learn about this asset class is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Here, Chad, a.k.a. The Coach, talks about real estate and gives you all the tips and tricks. But not only that, but he has guests on real proof of concept about how to reach financial independence by mastering this tricky asset class. Check them out. Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. It is a must-listen to if you think real estate is going to be part of your financial holdings. The easiest way to get there is to go to CoachCarson.com. Again, CoachCarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Let me reintroduce you. David Perret is an active-duty Marine with over 13 years of experience his goal is to help service members and veterans seeking to grow and build wealth. He is also co-founder of the War Room Mastermind Group. And Alex Felice is an Army veteran and a co-host of the Military Millionaire podcast. David, let's talk about your military experience as you've grown as a real estate investor and an entrepreneur. Has there been anything you've had to unlearn from your military training? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of things there, but I feel like they're all shrouded in like the lessons learned so probably probably i guess the the biggest thing is just the in the military like there's always somebody there who's got your back or somebody who has the answer and in real estate that's not the case right like so if i prime example today if i didn't remember that i was recording this podcast and missed the closing appointment this morning you know then we don't close right there's not like a oh what, you know, I mean, I got to figure that out, adjust that. In this case, I went a half hour early. It's not like a, hey, bro, can you cover this down? You know, hey, hey, can you jump into this? Hey, you've got the exact same skill set. It's it's very much on you. And, I, and, and another thing is like in the military, you can hide. So you can you can be the guy who's not the best and squeak by. And in real life, you can't, right? So like you've got to bring your game and you've got to know that it's on you. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily so much of an unlearning as it is a mentality, like the idea of, oh, Hey, I could work from home today instead of like having to go to the office or the idea of allowing yourself to end a work day without like everything on your to-do list accomplished because you want to go home to your family. Whereas in the military, like you probably stay in late. So I think for me, like the hardest things to unlearn have been some of the, just like unlearning that it's okay to not go to the office and spend time with your kid or that it's okay to leave work early to take care of this other thing or that it's okay to you know just hire something out rather than feeling like you need to do it yourself alex one thing i find kind of exciting about the military millionaire podcast is you guys have really built this community around yourselves tell us about the war room mastermind who's in it and what kind of impact has it had in your life yeah, I will say that even though David and I have been doing this podcast for the Military Millionaire podcast for like two years together, I don't really get that much outreach from people. I don't know that people can consider me. I don't know how much I feel part of the community directly. I think most of the outreach goes to David and most, and I, you know, that's, that's good for him. I'm glad to be part of the show, but I think people, I think he experiences a lot more of that community aspect than I do. I kind of wish I did, but I don't know. People resonate with his, his message a lot more than mine. I'm more of a, I guess, color. I think I turn people off and then they gravitate towards him. Maybe <laughs> the war room in particular, I think is one of the best things that David's done 
to be honest. And I don't think he realized what he was doing at the time. And I think, you know, Americans are like starving desperately on the inside for community. And these are like-minded people that gather together in little squads once a week or once every other week. And you just chat about people who have like-minded values and goals. And, you know, everybody's got thick skin. They're all in the military. So there's really no, no hold barred. Okay. So I'll tell you my story real quick. In 2019, I joined it when it was new and it was kind of like, what are we doing here? Let's just figure it out. Joined it. I entered a room with seven dudes and I was by far the lowest in the totem pole. I mean, you got guys who are buying multi-million dollar deals and raising multi-million dollar um, funds and like doing real deals. And it was very intimidating. And to be honest, that's the rooms you want to be in in life. The ones that you're kind of don't belong in. And a year later, a year after that, I ended up closing on a very big deal, $3 million property, my biggest. And I tagged in a partner from our squad that helped me. And it was tremendous uh, help. And I realized, I'm like, dude, I didn't even know this guy. And now we're doing deals together just because, just by proximity, just by proximity. And then now fast forward another year later, I joined his company as a full partner. So now we're, we're going to buy $65 million in real estate this year. And it all is because you got around the people who you needed to be around. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to underplay myself. You know, I bring a lot of value, maybe not always a real estate experience, but I have you know, perspectives. I, I'm okay to argue with people and, and flesh things, ide ideas out. And, you know, I read books that other people are unwilling to read. And they pro provide value and information that other people don't have. So I have my value. It's not always in real estate. You know, David put together this war room and it's their veterans and military service member mastermind and really just puts you, it just puts you together with the highest level people that you can be around while still being at like the cost level of, you know, what David's mastermind is rather than like a, a $10,000 a year mastermind. So if you're, a, if you want to go from maybe new or, or maybe moderately been around real estate for a little while or entrepreneurship for a little while, and you want to get to that, that next level, that's this a good platform. He undercharges and I'd like to see this thing grow to do in-person meetups and masterminds over the next year or so. These are things that we've talked about. So it's a really, it's a growing thing. And if you want to get in early, like get in while the getting is good, my friend. David, let's talk about this idea of a informal military business network. Obviously, that's part of what you're trying to grow with the war room. How has your military experience played a role in your own networking when it comes to building your business? Well, so for, for one, I was a recruiter for the Marine Corps for three years. And so while there's a million stipulations about recruiting uh, and how miserable and slimy recruiters are is the stipulation, right? The reality is that as a recruiter, you learn how to network and how to build rapport and how to make cold calls and how to go to a high school and talk in front of people who have no interest in listening to you and try to get their attention and how to sell somebody on four years of their life and how to overcome objections and how to network and how to Oh, do you know so-and-so? And, and, and so like that, as far as, and, and I talk about this in my book, as far as like additional collateral duties you could do in the military, I think being a recruiter, as miserable as it is, I will tell you as having been a recruiter, it is a terrible job. That has benefited me more than anything else I think I did in the military because I learned a lot of those things and was able to comprehend how to, you know, whatever. And I think the easy answer here is is community, right? Every Everybody in the military has a, I won't say everybody, but for the most part, we come from a similar understanding, I guess would be a good way. So we have very common ground in a lot of fundamental uh, belief sets, understanding of what each other has been through, you know, and obviously we rib and jab, you know, if someone in the Air Force walks up to me to talk about how hard boot camp is, I'm going to laugh at them. But then if I tried to talk to them about how intelligent Marines are, they're going to laugh at me. So, you know, we have our differences. But we come from a very basic understanding, like same place, which I think is what makes the war room so unique is that everybody's a service member or a vet. So we already start off on like this kind of like level playing field understanding of each other. And it, it makes that that bond that much uh, better. But I think as far as like building the the community goes, I really think it's just that coupled with the fact that like. Don't get me wrong. There are jerks in every occupation, but for the most part, people in the military are, you know, at least somewhat decent people to each other. And it kind of gives you this playground of people who are like coming from a similar 
background, even though their backgrounds are wildly different, they all have similar experiences in there and are kind of similarly minded and similarly oriented. So when you get them together, it's like, man, as long as they're, they have an abundant mindset, it's, it's rocket fuel. It's going to take off. Alex, does it give you comfort when you're going in with the deal? If the man or woman you're working with is military or ex-military, does that just provide another level of connection? I guess on the service, I'm going to tell you, I don't care. Uh, I love people in general, but I will say that it's sort of this chicken egg conversation you were having. Say, if you go to any conference, all the military people are going to gravitate to each other naturally. And it's not because I'm going around and asking who's in the military and who is, and it's just end up, you know, at bigger podcasts conferences, it's like me, Megan Greathouse and Matt Dubois at 3am drinking it's, and, and John Lund, it's a bunch of military guys. And it's not because I sought them out. It's just, I, I, I can't tell you. I, I can give you a whole bunch of reasons why, but I can't tell you what it is about these people. I think kind of hitting on something that I've been working on a lot of content for recently, which is, you know, Americans largely feel unbelievably lonely it's because we don't have any real communities. I mean, we're around people all the time, but that's not the same thing. And the military gives you a community set of people that you meet with regularly in person to share, to have shared values and interests and work on similar traditions together. You know, that's a community. And so once you have one of those things, then you're like, okay, I can sort of fall back into that group when I'm with these people in person. I will say, I think military people in general have a higher level of taking responsibility, a lower level of making excuses and much thicker skin, which works really good for me because I like to be abrasive <laughs> and I don't want somebody who's going to take everything personally. So I like to just, you know, razz people. And so I think those sort of things, those are broad comments. Those are certainly not everybody. And uh, I have lots of civilian friends. I just add a real quick point to that because Alex triggered something in me that as far as why I, I was talking about this just the other day, I can be myself around a serviceman or servicewoman, right? I'm not really as worried about the PC cancellation. Oh, you can't say that. How dare you have that opinion thing that seems to be like going around in the world. Whereas I, obviously service members and vets, we disagree on things, but like, doc, is it cool to swear on your show? Go ahead. Okay. So like if I told Alex that he was a piece of shit and then I told him why he would, we could have a dialogue about that and we'd come out on the other end as Dave and Alex who argue about things all the time online and are probably, he's probably still one of my best friends most of the time. But like if I was to walk up to even my brother and be like, yo dude, what the hell you're doing? Ba 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 ba. It's not going to go so well. And it's not going to go so well with like an employee. And it's not going to go so well with, in fact, I actually think not to totally derail this, but I think part of the like gender disparity, whatever way that shakes out in like big level business is because if I'm around a whole bunch of guys talking about whatever, like I don't have to worry about what I say. Whereas if I'm around, you know, when you start, so like I'm in a mastermind right now, that's very expensive. That's like an all, all men's mastermind. And I can get much more vulnerable, much more open there than I can in like a mixed room with my problems, not because there's anything wrong with the other gender, but because we're all on the same playing field. We all have very, you know, it, it opens doors. I think there's a time and a place for things to be whatever. All that being said, in the military, what you have is you have a whole bunch of people who have similar values, but they also have thick enough skin that you can completely and totally be yourself. You can be vulnerable. You can talk smack. You can do whatever. And I gravitate towards those people because it's a lot easier for me to be that open book, honest, blunt guy than it is for me to have to worry about if what I say gets taken out of context or somebody gets like super upset about it. So I don't, I don't know. Alex, you know, it's interesting at this point of the conversation, what I'm really gleaning from both of you is that the military has had a major impact on your lives. And yet. It seems like when it comes to business and entrepreneurship, at some point you realize I need to take a step further and do your own thing, which was not necessarily what everyone else in the military was doing. That was part of your real estate or entrepreneurship journey. Knowing what you know now, Alex, and I'm going to ask David the same question in a moment. Knowing what you know now, would you have done it again? Would you have signed up for the military today if you were a young person, or would you have jumped right into real estate and entrepreneurship without taking that first step? A hundred percent. I would have joined military is one of the best things I've ever done. 
And I get a lot of grief because of the, you know, geopolitics of it. But the military as a vacuum in and of itself is one of the most transformative things. It just puts you in this position. It's scary, right? People don't join not because they know, but because they don't know. It's scary. They hear boot camp. It's scary. And so it forces you to become somebody who says yes to something scary and, and follow through. And that alone, that first day, that's signing up, going to maps. But that alone transforms you. And then, you know, it puts you in these positions where you're next to you, you're like holding hand grenades. I mean, it's controlled chaos, but it's scary. And you're jumping airplanes and you're shooting. I was in Afghanistan shooting RPGs. It's scary, but it's like, you know, it's in a position where you're like, you know what I'm just not afraid of now is all the, like David's talking about, you know, kind of office politics. It's like, I don't care. And there's no bullets flying. I'm fearless. I was not going to be this person unless I had done that. That being said, four years, good chunk for me. You know, everybody has to follow their own journey, but in some ways, you know, I would hate to have a, I like that we have a volunteer military. I, I would hate to have a, a mandatory service, but I think a lot of people would, the majority of people would find themselves in much better position in life if they had some time in a, a stressful, sort of a controlled chaos environment like that, where they, they were kind of put in a position to, to find them their own self-empowerment, but it's not a, it doesn't make it a lifelong endeavor. David, if given the choice, knowing what you know now, would you do it again or would you jump right into real estate and entrepreneurship? I would absolutely join the military. I agree with Alex. And I, I will tell people all day that I, I think joining the service out of high school for a large majority of people is the single best decision you could make. So to preface very briefly on why I didn't want to go to school. I didn't have money to go to school if I wanted to go to school and I had no idea what the hell I wanted to study. And I would tell you, most people probably don't know what they want to study. I mean, if you look at statistics for how many people change their major once and then how many of those change it two or three or four times, there's a whole lot of people who don't know what they want to do and go to school and then they have debt and they have, you know, whatever. So, so there's that, right? Like you get college paid for while you're in, you get college paid for after you have time to figure out what you want to do before you have to decide on where you're going to school. There's all of those tangible benefits. You you have to be self-reliant. You have to, you learn how to show up. You learn how to have a framework. You learn how to work hard. You, you get a sense of purpose for doing something that's greater than yourself. You get to travel the world. You get to, it's fun the first few years. I mean, for me, I'll tell you like that first few years was so much fun. And then it, as I got promoted and it got much less fun, but you know, because it was, it was more office, more, more paperwork, more logistics, more whatever, and much less like Here's a six shot grenade launcher, sling it across your back. Here's a rifle, put it across your chest, drive that truck and hope you don't drive over a bomb. If you do, now you get to bring out the cool guns. Like, yeah, it was like, that was fun. I mean, that was the, the, like the greatest adventure of my life. Right. But if we take all that away, here's the thing that I would say for me, I was a homeschooled, raised by religious, very religious family, kind of this like. I always just called myself a homeschooled loser or homeschooled weirdo, but like I had a lot of issues that I'm still like, when you talk like trauma, it's not like I had a terrible childhood, but there are things that have helped me get to where I am or held me back from like my imposter syndrome absolutely stems a lot from that. So here's where I was. Let me paint you the 18 year old picture. Virgin, never been drunk, never done anything wrong, never partied too hard, didn't do any of the stuff, right? What happens, do you think, if I go to high, go to college and I'm 18 years old and all this stuff is dumped on me and I've always been the guy who takes things too far? If I hadn't been in the military, I don't know if I'd be alive right now. So I did some crazy things with my, like, going off the cliff of, like, ooh, alcohol, ooh, women, ooh, like, all these things that first five, ten years in the military – but in the military, if you go out with five or six guys and you go get drinks in like Tokyo, they're going to make sure all five or six of you make it back. And you're going to be taken care of and they're going to cut you off and they're going to tell you, hey, dummy, like we're done, like whatever. I don't know that I have the breaks when I get going. And it scares me to think of what 19 year old me would have done at the University of Arkansas had I gotten into a frat, right? Like it would have been bad. And I don't know that I would have come back from it. So like, that's a whole different side that I don't normally talk about, but if it wasn't for the military, like, I don't know where my life would be, but it sure as heck wouldn't be as put together as it looks from the outside and not always put together like that, but it looks like it. Yeah. I would, I think it's the best thing anyone can do. 
I mean, obviously it's not right for everyone, but the, the benefits far outweigh the cost, I think, at least the first few years. David and Alex, I wanted to thank you for doing this episode. At the outset, I thought about my own beliefs about the military and a lot of people, especially where I come from, people who I grew up with thought, you know, if you want to make it big in business, if you want to make a lot of money, if you want to go into entrepreneurship, you don't go to the military, you go to college, you know, you do that internship. There's all these things that we set out in front of us. And it's really refreshing to hear that I was completely wrong, that clearly the military can actually be a great path to not just wealth, but also entrepreneurship. The second thing I think about is a lot of people are like me and feel like it just doesn't affect their lives. Well, certainly it does because these are the people who are protecting us, which clearly affects our lives. But also it's possible that a spouse or a child or a friend or someone you work with could have this experience. And I think for the rest of us in the world, understanding that experience is really important. So I wanted to thank you for coming on the show and end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. Alex, let me start with you. What is going on with you in 2022 and how can people interact with you online? I'm going to buy something like $65 million of real estate this year syndication. So anybody who wants to participate, we're focused on resort RV parks in the Sun Belt, which is a huge opportunity. Go to climbcapital.com. You can sign up there. You can learn more about me at brokeisachoice.com. And David, if people want to find you, how can they reach you online? And what is coming up next for you in 2022? Yeah, the easiest way is just Google Military Millionaire. We've got a big Facebook group and everything else, and we've gotten to a point where you'll find us if you Google Military Millionaire. What is coming up next? That's a tough question because a lot of the irons I have in the fire right now, I can't publicly discuss. So I'll say we have some really cool opportunities coming down the pipe. I think the biggest thing for this year is that we're going to help service members and vets buy over $100 million worth of houses with VA loan, house hacking and and whatever, and investments that, or houses that actually make sense, not <laughs> paying $100,000 over asking price on something that you're leveraged to the hilt on. But so I'm excited about that. Just helping service members and vets learn, you know, really just how to use the benefits that are out there for them. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank David Perret and Alexander Feliz. That's a wrap. Sweet. Dude, Dude I you're mean, good at this. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, you know, I love interviewing people. So, those, you're good at those this. good questions. I like that was fun. You got me. You're better at this. You're, you're better at this than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's just I have a different, you know, you come at it in different ways. And, and to me, you know, I've, I've just love trying to get to what makes people tick and do what they do and why it's important. And so, like the military always fascinates me because it does feel so far away from me, even though my dad was in the military, right? It just feels like a world that I didn't grow up with. And so now, especially as I got into personal finance, I met people like you guys. Um, and it just enthralls me that this whole world that I don't understand and yet is central to people's lives. Yeah, what's interesting is I didn't even think about it until at the very end when you were like, oh, we don't think about it because we're disconnected. And I was like, that's so fascinating because like I still live in the outside of a base. So everybody here is military. My partner in podcasting, David, is military. Climb Capital is like six military guys. My partners here on the boots on the ground run my apartments. They're all military guys. So like I actually don't notice that other people I forget that other people have no um like exposure to it. And so uh actually when we were taught when David was saying, like, oh, I have to, you know, kind of curate my my conversations based on like who's in and who has been in. I find often that I don't curate my conversations. I treat everybody like they're in. And so I, that's why I can be polarizing. Cause I'm like, here it is. You, you can take it or you can't take it. Um, cause I'm, I'm so far around it. So when you said that, I was like, wow, I didn't have to think about curating. I was just like having a regular conversation, but I should have thought about that more deeply. Yeah. I, I love it. Alex, you always describe yourself as abrasive. And yet for the people who know you, I think of you as a softie. <laughs>
know what it is? I say, I say non-polarizing things, but I say them like, I think just the tone can be harsh, but I don't think anything I say is polarizing. So one of my best friends is, uh, he, he actually the other day was like, man, what is up with you having this Alex guy on your podcast? Because he was just like, he's like, he's so, and I was like, dude, you just haven't met him in person. I was like, that's, that's the difference is like the Alex you hear on the podcast is you get the, you get the, the, the feedback and the banter and the, and the, the thoughts, like the good thoughts and whatever. I was like, but you don't realize that like, like Alex is like through all the banter, like, I mean, the gut checks Alex has given me over the last few years. It's like, I mean, literally helped me. I, I may, may actually call the asshole later just to talk to him a little bit about some things I've got some thoughts with the war room because uh what he just said on the podcast was like pretty much the exact thing i wanted to hear uh without ever asking so i appreciate that but um i yeah yeah i think people they hear you know i, I look at individuals i'm like and human individuals are very complicated and i know we live in a culture where everybody wants to like label somebody into one word you're like well you're just this or you're just this, you're just this. And so I kind of throw that at people's face. And I'm like, yeah, you're gonna hear me say some of the things that saying, or you're gonna hear my opinions, or maybe I'm gonna say it in a way that's not as soft as you would like, but um, that doesn't mean that I'm just one way all the time. I have honest conversations with people and a lot of times I'm smiling. And so I think David said like, you know, Doc, you know, I've met in person a few times. Yeah. Um, and so I think when people meet me on, online, they're like, okay, he's the same, but it's funnier than I had felt, I guess. So. And and David, let me echo what Alex said during the podcast. From the outside, certainly it seems to me like the community you're building seems to be the preeminent military entrepreneurship community. So I can see that from the outside. Like I see your group. I see the numbers growing. I see the interaction. Um, I definitely see it from the outside as, okay, this is happening and this is building. Um, so if you're not feeling that on the inside, you should be, because it, it, it certainly looks like it on the outside. I appreciate that. It's not, it's not that I don't feel it. It's that I don't allow myself to buy into it or to, it's like a governor. I have this terrible case of imposter syndrome. I'm reading a book right now that someone recommended that's all about it. So I'm going to dig in uh, where I can feel like there's something that it's like it's like being in a car that has, you know, a six shift, a six speed Ferrari and I'm in like third gear and I'm like, I know this son of a bitch has six gears. Yeah. I just don't want to hit the clutch. And it's like, yeah, I think David doesn't. I think part of the problem he kind of collectively had, but David definitely it's his, it's his group more than my group. I think he doesn't know what to do with it. Mm. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, and it's kind of growing to this thing. And he's like, OK, now it's a thing. And I don't know how to. And I haven't been able to give any good advice. We don't know how to really coalesce it into either, you know, maybe it's a conference, maybe it's a small, you know, retreat. We've had these ideas, but also David and I have the same problem where we're both day juniors more than we are integrators. And so we really need somebody to come along and be like, okay, we're going to take your ideas and, and place them into action. Because if it's him and I, we're going to have great ideas with getting nothing done till the day we die. <laughs> I, I'd love to talk to you guys more about that. I actually have to go because I have another meeting, but, um, Talk to Vincent Puglisi, man. He's done really good stuff with masterminds and forming groups. And to me, the next step for you guys is to have the public group, which you put less time into, and then have your own private paid-in group like the mastermind that maybe is a little more expensive, offers a little bit more, and then adds in retreats and meetings. Um, but, you know, if you ever want to talk about that, chat about it. But someone like Vincent Puglisi would be a real good guy to talk to. I would love an introduction if you've got one. Yeah, um, yeah. Let me, I'll, actually, I'll email you. Yep. I'm actually thinking about buying out my partner on that so that I can grow it. Yeah, so. all right. Sorry, I got to go, but uh, I'll connect you online. Thank you guys for doing this. This was excellent. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, brother. Take it easy. Thanks, buddy. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. 
tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.